I'm Mark Middleton with Bill Schaefer, and this is Growing Bolder. In the next hour, we'll meet a big-time actress, an NBA sports legend, and a three-time Olympic gold medalist who will help show you that it is never too late to follow your passions in life. This program will motivate, educate, and hopefully inspire you to live each and every day to the fullest by hearing others who have done it tell their incredible stories. Folks like Cheryl Strayed, whose life was a disaster until she went on a soul-searching journey of desperation and wrote a book about it, which became a bestseller. Also, Jeremy Bloom, who traded his job as a wide receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles to start a foundation that now helps make dreams come true for the elderly. And you mentioned the Olympics. Well, we'll have swimming gold medalist Rowdy Gaines here to share what he says is the most important tool for success. And we'll talk with NBA legend Oscar Robertson about why he wants to go public with his very private battle against cancer and the warning he has for us all. And that is what makes this program different than all others. That's what we mean when we say that this is Growing Bolder. And right now we're about to meet someone we've been trying to get on this program for a number of years. Mary Lou Henner is a great actor. In fact, Bill loves her from Taxi. I thought she was pretty freaking great in L.A. Story and so many other films and shows. But she was also one of the earliest and loudest celebrities out there screaming for people to take charge of their own health. She's written a number of best-selling books about that. And now she's done it again with what may be her most amazing book to date. Yeah. You see, one of her many talents is her smoking hot memory. She can remember details from pretty much every single day of her life. Can you imagine, Mark, aside from the ability to annoy all your friends, can you imagine what a powerful tool that kind of a memory can be? Well, guess what? She says she can help you improve yours. And that's what her latest book is all about. It's called Total Memory Makeover. Uncover your past and take charge of your future. It's a big hello from us to Mary Lou Hanner. Hey, Mary Lou, how are you doing? Hey, guys, with that introduction, I'm afraid to say anything. (laughs) Thank you. You know what? Now I'm going to take us downhill because you might hate me for doing this. But right off the top, you are just a stunning example of how age is just a number. Are are you comfortable with talking about how old you are? Oh, sure. I've never kept that a secret. You know, know, I started too young and, and, you know, didn't know that other people lied about their ages. So I've always told the truth. How old are you? I turned 60 in April 6th. Yes. That's, you know, um, so I'm, yeah, uh, 60 in two months and six days. And you are living proof that eating right, exercising, and being proactive with your health can have incredible results. Well, I was definitely not headed down this path when I was younger. I mean, I had, like, I was a terrible teenage yo-yo dieter and would experiment with all kinds of stupid diets, you know, just, like, really dumb stuff when I was a kid. I was never bulimic or anorexic or anything like that, but I would just, you know, I'd, I'd just go on, like, the ridiculous fad diets all the time. But then my, And then my father passed away when I was 17. He was 52. He died of a massive heart attack mm. that wiped him out in just a few minutes. And I really then ballooned. I ate my feelings, basically, and ballooned up to 174 pounds, which is way too much weight. And I had it on for a few years and then started to, you know, find better ways. But then after my mother died of arthritis at 58, I said, okay, it's, it's not about my weight anymore. It's really about my health, and I better start seeing my entire life through the prism of health. And I became a real student. I went to medical libraries, and I talked to doctors and nutritionists and, and health, went to health food stores and bought books, and I took a human anatomy class at UCLA. And I learned a lot about the human body, and I experimented on myself, and I found a better way of eating. You know, this is a long time ago. This is in the late 70s. So I totally changed my life. My diet went on a plant-based diet. I've been vegan for a long time. And it just, it changed my life. I mean, I gave up dairy products, you know, August 15th, 1979, it was a Wednesday. So it, it, you know, really changing my diet had tremendous impact on my health. And since that time, you know, I got down to 120 pounds, lowered my cholesterol over 100 points, and I feel more fit and stronger than ever. I had my kids at 42 and 43, and they're now 18 and 16 and a half. 
And I've just been, you know, I I connected with the love of my life, somebody new that I knew in college, um, uh, who was my roommate's boyfriend, and we connected (laughs) when we were both 50, and we've been together now um, almost 10 years. So, you know, it's a. I, I definitely believe that time is on your side. Every day you have an opportunity to get healthier and stronger than you were the day before. So if you start accumulating good habits within a year, you're going to be a lot better off than you are right now. And, you know, that that's one of the many things we love about you, Mary Lou, is you're not some opportunistic celebrity, of which there are many out there now, trying to take advantage of what the latest trend is. You have been living this, walking this for, for decades. So let's do talk about this very timely book, Total Memory Makeover, because we all live in fear of losing our memory, something which uh, you proved to everybody a few years back when you were on 60 Minutes that your memory is incredible. W- was that really the spark, the genesis for what became this book? Well, I was, I've was. i been teaching memory classes for a long time because since I was a tiny little girl, I've had uh, this uh, very unusual memory, but there was never any name for it. But anyone who knew me, which if you remember the 60 Minutes, Leslie Stahl turned down the story of someone who had this memory because she said, hey, it's no big deal. My friend Mary Lou Henner has the same uh-huh. memory. And then they realized over a period of time that very few people had it. So, But it's something that I've been fascinated with for a long time. And through these memory classes that I've taught online at MaryLou.com, which is my website, or I've taught in seminars across the country, really stimulating people's autobiographical memories, I, I noticed some patterns. And I, I basically took what I do naturally and turned it into exercises and sparked other people's memories with these these exercises. And it's a, I just taught a memory class that just ended yesterday, as a matter of fact, at MaryLou.com. There'll be another one next month. But but people said, I can't believe it's like the floodgates open. You think that you can't remember something, and then all of a sudden, just a simple prompting question will bring back memories, and you're able to cross-connect them. I think the biggest problem people have today is that when they think about memory, they think about being able to remember a list of things, and it, there's always like some strange mnemonic device attached to it. But I'm always saying, Use your life. Your life is such a warehouse, such a such a you know a huge resource center for being able to cross connect information and draw from that. Whether it's remembering numbers or remembering faces or remembering a list at the grocery store, you know, use your life. And so that's what I'm trying to teach people uh, how to do. You know, what to do. I've worked with Alzheimer's patients and. And it's just, it's had tremendous results. So I'm very excited to share this new book with everyone. Now, now what, what you have, they, they have a name for it. They call it HSAM, Highly Superior Autographical Memory. When, when autobiographical. You, autobiographical. When, when <laughs> autographical, yes. Auto, <laughs> autographical. So when you work with somebody, Mary Lou, how, how much, I mean, you don't teach people how to be like you, but you help well, us. I, I don't. I teach people actually how to be like me. They they may not be able to be exactly like me and remember every single day of their lives. But I but what I what I do is I I play to people's strengths, because one of the things I've really realized in in teaching classes is that everyone has a, a primary track on which they've embedded their memories. Now your primary track is something that you remember especially well, even if you think you have a horrible memory, which everyone says they have. But everyone remembers something, whether it's sports or travel or relationships or conversations or, or um, school, jobs that they've had, hairdos, food, clothes, anything. It's amazing. I've heard bats. Somebody has an obsession with bats, and you get them talking about bats, and you put them around bats, and it's amazing how many memories come back. Hmm. So I liken it to... Your, your life is this big jigsaw puzzle, so what are your hard-edged pieces that help you make this picture? You know, so that's your primary track. And the other thing is everyone has a dominant sense. So you're either a, t- you know, a, a touch, taste, smell, sight, or sound person, and what happens is if you play to that strength, things come back. What's funny is that sometimes you get uh, like an auditory woman, someone who remembers sounds very well in conversations, and you get a visual man, somebody who just remembers the pictures of things, and he'll say, she remembers everything I said in that argument. And he'll, she'll say, he just remembers me standing there pointing my finger, <laughs> shaking my finger. So you have, to, you have to play to your strengths and sort of cross-connect your past information. But when you do, it's, it's remarkable what starts to come back for you, you know. 
We are speaking with Mary Lou Henner, actress, uh, author, and advocate, among many other things, about her new book, Total Memory Makeover. And, and Mary Lou, you know, what are you trying to get done here? Is this just to help people f- remember others' names? Are you targeting this at the baby boomer generation as a way to you know, prevent I'm dementia? I'm targeting this for everyone because I feel like, you know, having had a great memory even as a child for me, I was able to not only be a better student, but I was able to remember those Our Town moments with my family. You know, I, I, having said, you know, having lost my parents so young, I'm able to go back to entire weeks of my, my childhood with them or my life vacations with them and, and just relive every day if I want to or kind of see the lessons in what they've said. This is really about taking the information from your life at any age and bringing it forward to the present so that it can help you make better decisions in your future. You know, I work with a lot of girls, a lot of women in their 20s who keep picking the bad boy, you know, the bad <laughs> bad boys over and over again in relationships. Uh, I'm thinking of this one particular incident where she was just always unhappy and she was picking the same guy over and over again. And finally, when we pointed out, when I pointed out to her, you know, and she did, she did the memory work, you know, what were the red flags at that first dinner with this one and what did it remind you of that you weren't paying attention? to and things like that. You know, it's picking up on on those signals, using your life to learn where your little red flags are that you tend to go, you know. So it's really a memory work for everyone. But the boomers, I mean, they everybody's in such a panic about losing their memory that once you give people permission to use their life and not something outside of themselves, they feel so empowered by that because it, it's powerful stuff. I mean, one woman said to me last night, it just opened the floodgates for her creatively because she was able to say, I, there's a lot more in there. That, that, you know, I thought I was losing my memory, and I realized it's ten times better than I thought it was. You know, it's really something, Mary Lou, to listen to you. Uh, to, for, for me, it's not really about memory, and it's not really about diet. I think that the, the big draw with you is you're an example of what happens when somebody really has a true passion for life itself. I mean, it's... Oh, it's, no question about it. I, I grew up with very passionate parents, and even though I lost them young, they had, a, you know, their enthusiasm for life had a tremendous impact on me. And so every day was just such a gift, you know, it's like, what did you, you know, what, what's out there? You know, I, if you, if people, if you stop being a student, then you never really learn again. But if every day offers some education, not only about, you know, yourself, but the world, I mean, it's just amazing. It's, I, I always liken it to, you know, people come to me for a lot of weight issues and food issues and I'll say, okay, you know, so you, you blew it yesterday. There's no such thing as blowing it. It's just another day in the laboratory of your life. This was the experiment. It didn't go so well. So now take that information forward with you and know that that restaurant is going to make you feel bad the next day. Well, (laughs) folks... We wanted to have her on for so long, and I just want to say that it was absolutely worth the wait. It's not what she's done or what she can do. It's the passion she brings to every role, every book, and every interview that makes Mary Lou Henner compelling and, yes, even unforgettable. The book is called Total Memory Makeover, thanks to the great Mary Lou Henner. In a moment, one of the greatest players in NBA history joins us with a message that he hopes saves lives. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Located in West Orange County, Orlando Health's Health Central Hospital is a full-service hospital with an accredited chest pain center and heart failure program, as well as top-rated neurospine and orthopedic programs. Learn more at orlandohealth.com. And by... The Legacy Life Project from Macbeth Studio, preserving family history, stories, and memories for generations to come by creating personal video biographies of your loved ones. Everyone has a story worth preserving. LegacyLifeProject.com This is Growing Boulder. I'm Mark Middleton along with Bill Schaefer, and we're going to talk for just a moment, folks, about the single most devastating form of cancer for men. One out of every six of us will develop prostate cancer in our lifetime, and you would think that that would make this a very hot topic, but apparently men are not nearly as anxious to talk about prostate cancer, at least not in the same way that women talk about breast cancer. And as a result, there is a lot of confusion and misinformation out there. Boy, and that is a disease that does not discriminate. Ordinary people get it. Even one of the greatest players in the history of basketball 
can get it. It happened to the big O, Oscar Robertson, and it scared him. He didn't know a thing about it, and he figured a lot of us didn't either, so he decided to make his battle as public as possible to spread the word and to try to save lives. Just ask, and many will say Oscar Robertson was the greatest all-round player in NBA history. The Big O broke into the league in 1960, a time when his toughest opponent might have been racism. Nobody worked any harder, and none were tougher. In retirement, nothing has changed. When there's a battle to face, Robertson is there, even when the opponent turned out to be cancer. I didn't get upset about it, uh, but it was cancer. Uh, Emily, I said, well, you know what? I said, how could I have cancer in my prostate on a went up two points? You know, my PSA, I'm sure, I'm sorry to say, went up two points, but that's where it goes, man, you know. It's great meeting you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Robertson was ready to fight. He wanted a doctor who was more like a teammate. He chose Dr. Vipul Patel at the Global Robotics Institute at Florida Hospital. Prostate cancer therapy is changing all the time, you know, almost on a yearly basis. But the biggest thing that's changed over the last decade really is robotic surgery. And uh, I work at Florida Hospital here down in Celebration, and we have the largest program in the world. And so in Central Florida, we're fortunate to have the most experienced team for prostate cancer. And that's really the key. When it comes to surgery, it's very similar to basketball. You want to have a lot of experience and someone who's doing it on a daily basis. Robertson made a bold choice and had his prostate removed. Tough decision? No. no you don't, there's no pain at all. Just robotics. They go in through a little cut around in your stomach, yeah, maybe about an inch and a half, and take it right out. It doesn't hurt the doctor. No, it doesn't hurt me either. <laughs> it didn't hurt me at all, to be honest. I had no pain whatsoever. And how are you doing that? Much better than I, than I, than I would have been if I'd have kept that prostate in. And you could have walked away from this. That could have been the end of the story. Instead, the big O decided to dedicate himself to helping others. So he got with Dr. Patel and... Oscar and I created the International Prostate Cancer Foundation. It's www.fightingprostatecancer.com. And that's our mission, is to educate patients and to promote screening globally. This is for my best friend's grandson. But to do that meant that Robertson, a fiercely private man, would have to step back into the spotlight. Some things you don't keep a secret. At first, I, I wanted to keep mine very secret. I had it taken out. Didn't want anybody to know about it. But I realized that was the wrong direction to go in. You know what it does to just have people out there understand in their mind, well, Oscar Robertson did this. Well, I, I, I'm sure that's true. But, you know, I want them to know that they could, there's an there's a out for them if they would just go and have, have examinations, have things done. I'm glad that I was able uh, to to have it done, have surgery done successfully, and be able to tell people about it and go on with it. You, you've got so much courage. That's no courage. You know, come on, don't, don't. I mean, I'm, there's no courage, to be honest. The, the courage is not necessarily in the treatment, but in your willingness to share your story. Yeah, you know, I think, that, I think that a lot of people would share stories if they, if they ask to do certain things. We live in a society where everything is so political and so closed-minded and and, you know, people want to know the, 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 what, what's the best way to do this, what, what is the right thing to say and do. But sometimes just, just telling people honestly what happened and, how they, and I, honestly how they can be helped is the best way to do it sometimes, what, what's most your, times, for me. What's your life like now? Are you busy? Or are you yeah, I'm still doing things, you know. I, mean, I, don't, I don't want to retire, to be honest. I don't, I don't think people should retire. I think you've got to have things to do, you know, things to get up for, you know things to talk about, just to go and retire and not, not do anything. I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't mind golf, but I, I, don't like to, I, don't, I wouldn't want to play golf all the time. I don't like to play cards with, all people, with people all the time. You want to challenge yourself. You want to yeah, if there's something I can do, I enjoy doing this. Uh, if I can help people. You're 73 years old. You're 73, right? that's right. Longevity sort of runs in your family, doesn't it? My father was lived to be... 93, uncle, uncle was 96, had an aunt, she just died in 95. But you know, I, I, I don't know, I, I'd like to think so. Are you forgetting somebody? My grandfather? He, was, he died at 88, I believe. And how about your great-grandfather? Oh, he was 100, 115 years old, or maybe more, maybe less. He's around 115. You might be around for a long time, yeah, though, Oscar. I don't, I don't know, I don't know. If I am, I'll, I'll be half happy for it. But you never know. You never know when you're going to leave here. You don't know that. Being open, being such a strong inspiration. What do you hope your message is? I hope my message gets across to people. 
on both sides, black and white, and all the blacks are more at risk than whites with this disease, but whites as well, to understand that, that, that to go in and get, to get the prostate checked, it's a real key. You know what I mean? People don't think anything about it when you say one in six. They don't think anything about it until they get it. Then they, when they're that number, when they're that one out of six, then it's, oh, God, why me? Why, why me? But go get, have it done. Go have it done. Check it. Make sure that you don't, you don't have to say, why me? Because there's a, there's a way out. If you get there in time, it's a way out for you. Oscar Robertson makes a great point, and get that he's not out advocating any treatment or process or even course of action. What he is saying is the more you know about the disease, about yourself, it helps you make the best decision possible. Yeah, the worst thing you can do, Bill, is bury your head in the sand. The hottest topic lately on prostate cancer, of course, revolves around PSA testing and whether or not that number is a reliable indicator. But again, it's a great opportunity for you to do a little research on your own and open a conversation with your doctor. Men have got to start talking about this. Taking charge of your own health is an important part of growing bolder. Oh, Mark, this is cool. A couple of months ago, I got one of those GPS devices, hmm. finally. You know, the one where you input the address of where you want to go, and it shows you turn by turn how to get there, and I'm amazed at the difference. Now, anytime I go somewhere, I'm calm, focused, and aware, and it made me realize what a great metaphor for life that is. Yeah, how did we live without those things? But, but, but to your latter point, Bill, if you do know where you're going, if you set goals for yourself, folks, if you let yourself dream and dream big, it does make you much stronger and more confident as you're headed down your own path. And don't just take it from us. It just so happens that some of the greatest athletes of our generation feel the exact same way. Hi, I'm Rowdy Gaines, three-time Olympic gold medalist. You've heard the saying, your grasp never exceeds your reach. And that's another way of saying dream big because success isn't accidental. One of the most valuable lessons I learned as an Olympic athlete is the importance and power of visualization. I'd swim a big race in my mind a hundred times before I actually swam it in the pool. I visualized how I would feel before the race. I imagined a quick reaction to the gun, how I would feel in the water, how I would respond to the pressure of a close finish, and how it would feel to win. And I visualized it all in vivid detail. The mind is very powerful and very mysterious. So plant those seeds of your success by visualizing what you want to accomplish and how you're going to accomplish it. And then your mind will go to work to help make it happen. For more motivation and inspiration, just go to growingbolder.com. In a moment, a former football star who's dedicated his life to helping others make their dreams come true. Support for Growing Boulder provided by the Center for Health and Well-Being, coming soon in Winter Park. Wellness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Check out Growing Boulder TV, airing on public television stations nationwide. Visit growingboulder.com TV for program listings and where to watch. This is Growing Boulder. I'm Mark Middleton. As always, Bill Schaefer is alongside. And you know, when we first created Growing Boulder Radio, Growing Boulder TV, which, by the way, now seen on 590 stations, 90% of the country, and GrowingBoulder.com, we realized that everybody has dreams. So we wanted to create programs that encourage people to make their dreams come true. And as you know, one of the sayings we live by here is, it's never too late. And that, Mark, is where our next guest comes in. He made his dream come true, and he made it to the Olympics twice. He did it again as a three-time world champion snow skier, an all-American football player at Colorado and ultimately as a wide receiver with the Philadelphia Eagles. But he didn't stop there. He did it again at the Wharton Business School and again broadcasting college football for Fox. But he's here today to talk about his Hmm. biggest dream yet, and he is Jeremy Bloom. Hey, Jeremy, how are you? Hey, guys, doing great, thanks. Man, that's a lot of dreams, brother. You sure must do a lot of sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, my mom told me from from a very young age that there's there's nothing in this world that that I can't accomplish if if I put my mind to it. And uh, you know, I was just really fortunate and blessed to have a lot of great people around me, great coaches, great family that gave me you know, every opportunity to, to chase my wildest dreams. Jeremy, we all tell our kids that, but most of them figure we're just you know shoveling a load towards them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I've always been a, a bit naive. <laughs> hey, listen, when you retired from football in 2008, you started one of the most unique and amazing organizations around, one that helps make dreams come true for others. Tell us about Jeremy Bloom's Wish of a Lifetime. Well, I started Wish of a Lifetime, as you mentioned, in 2008 while I was still with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And the inspiration for the foundation came from my grandparents. Um, my grandmother lived with us growing up for the first 19 years of my life, and it was amazing to have the love of a grandmother uh, in my home. So it was my mom, my dad, my brother, and my sister and I. And, you know, she she is one of the most unselfish human beings I've I've ever met. And she's gone through a lot of adversity in her life, but she always does it with a smile on her face. And she's just an extraordinary woman. Um, and my grandfather uh, was my very first ski instructor uh, when I was three years old. We would go up to Keystone, Colorado, and my mom, my dad, brother, and sister would go off and ski because I was the youngest and I couldn't keep up. And they kind of pawned me off to my grandfather, um, which was fine by me because my, my mom um, was a, kind of a bit of a health-focused mother, so we couldn't eat candy or sugar. But my grandfather, he, he just he loved candy, and so he'd pack <laughs> his pockets full of miniature-sized candy bars, and as soon as I'd get off the ski lift, he'd start throwing them down the mountain. <laughs> and I would chase down and get him, and and that's how I first learned how to ski. So you know, I just have such a great relationship with my grandparents, and I started traveling the world um, when I was about 17 um, with the U.S. ski team. And I was in Tokyo, Japan, and I was sitting on this bus, and I it was a really crowded bus, and and I watched this, you know, probably 80 or 90 year old woman start walking onto the bus, and as she she started boarding, everybody got out of their seats. And uh, they, they offered her a hand, and they, they showed her to a seat, and then they bowed to her. And the bus didn't move until she was really taken care of. And at that age, I was just struck by this cultural difference um, in, uh, in Asia, but it also exists in other countries like Europe and, and South America around respecting the oldest people mm. um, in their society. And so I wanted to start something in this country to to bring that cultural difference here and expose it to the kids and my generation and really everybody. And so Wish of a Lifetime um, grants lifelong wishes to 80, 90, and 100-year-old people. And God bless you for doing that, because so many people want to ignore our elders. And isn't it amazing, Jeremy, that, uh, you know, this is uh, an imprint that was made on you as a teenager. Uh, to, to still have that imprint at your age is remarkable under any circumstances. But but after you were this guy who was a world champion skier and an NFL player, you know, the type of people that we would think are, is all about me, 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 uh, this was such a powerful imprint that you still— you still had to do it. Well, I think it's just really important. You know, the, this is the generation that uh, we're, we're on the beaches of, of Normandy, you know, and the, and the boats of Pearl Harbor fighting um, at such a young age for, for the freedom that we all enjoy in our country. You know, this is the generation that scraped and clawed and, and endured tremendous adversity, pulling us through the Great Depression, pulling our country through the Great Depression. You know, these are the people that paved our roads. You know, these are the people that uh, they, they gave us life and helped shape the, the world that we all live in today. And I think it's important. I think it's really important. And, and I think inside almost everybody I meet, you know, we all have this kind of contagious feeling around the oldest people in our country that we should be doing more. And so, you know, I, I think one of the reasons that we've grown as an organization is, as quickly as we have um, is because of that. And we have such a, a great following and great supporters uh, that are supporting what we're doing. Uh, we granted four wishes in 2008. Today, this year, we'll be, we're granting over one wish per day. So we'll grant over 400 wishes. Um, and that's because of people that, that uh, believe the same things. Jeremy, tell us, this is a generation that doesn't like to ask for things. What kind of wishes do you grant for them? 
Yeah, that was one of our biggest challenges early on was actually getting people to tell us what their wish was because, as you mentioned, it's an unselfish generation, and they're so used to giving. Um, we we just granted a really, really cool wish um, to, to Dorothy, who grew up in the segregated South. And uh, she remembers when she was six years old, she, she boarded a, a train with her grandmother um, to visit some family in North Carolina. And as soon as they passed the Mason-Dixon line just outside of Baltimore, um, she wanted to go to the food cart and get some food because she was hungry. And her grandmother said that, uh, that she, they, they weren't allowed up there because of the color of their skin. And Dorothy remembers put, putting her he- head against the glass and, and looking outside the train and saying to herself, you know, someday I'm going to eat in a, in a train car. And 66 years later, we were able to help her uh, her dream come true. And it was not only just a cool wish for her, but also it was really cool. Just It symbolized how far we've come, you know, in our country, in our society, uh, the last 60-some years. But, um, you know, a lot of people ask me what, what the most, you know, common uh, wishes that, that we grant are. And um, 44% of the wishes that we grant are to fulfill some sort of lifelong dream. Um, 24% is to fulfill um, some sort of passion in their life. Uh, that, that they that they once had and they they like to do again things like renewing vows or going fishing or a trip to the museum. Eighteen mm-hmm. percent to reconnecting with somebody in their life, so you know seeing a family member that they haven't seen for a long time or a friend. And then fourteen percent of our wishes go to um, to veterans, you know, World War II veterans, uh, Vietnam veterans, and, and Korean War vets. Granting wishes to the elderly and knowing this generation the, the, the way we are all learning them, I imagine they are as moved by the gesture that you're making as they are by the wish that you're granting. He is Jeremy Bloom, folks, an NFL broadcaster, a former NFL player, a three-time uh, world skiing champion. His new organization is called The Wish of a Lifetime, and you can learn more about it, how it can help you, and and more importantly, how you can help it at SeniorWish.org. Jeremy, thanks so much, and uh, we'll stay in touch. Coming up, how a woman's journey from despair to transformation resulted in a best-selling book, one of Oprah's favorites. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by the Masson Spine Institute, where world-renowned minimally invasive techniques lead to fast recovery. The Masson Spine Institute, excellence in spinal surgery. More information at MassonSI.com. And by Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Hi, Mark Middleton, along with Big Bad Billy Schaefer. This is Growing Boulder. And is it true that we are, in fact, the sum total of our experiences, or do our experiences somehow shape who we are through the way we deal with them? We, of course, all face obstacles in life and will continue to do so. Sometimes they're tragic and devastating. And one of the best-selling books in America right now is about the author's struggle to journey through that despair and that tra- and transform into someone that is fully alive. And my goodness, what a long, strange trip it can it is unbelievable. <laughs> the book is called Wild, and you know who's wild about it? Oprah made it her first choice when she restarted her Book of the Month Club, but what Oprah latched onto is the raw and emotional honesty that comes straight out of the grief and eventual redemption. Like I said, it's a great read. Let's say hi to the author, Cheryl Strayed. Hi, Cheryl. How are you? Hi, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you. There is so much to talk about with you. I mean, this book touches on so many different aspects of life, you know, and it relates to everybody. So let's start, I guess, with the big tragic blow in your life. I mean, your mom died fairly suddenly of cancer. She was 45. You were 22. And I guess, is it too simple to say that slowly but surely your life started to spin out of control? It's not too simple to say. That's exactly what happened. I, I think a lot of us, you know, uh, my mother was this, this really wonderful um, person and a great mother, and really she was the center of my family and, and the taproot of my life. And once she wasn't there anymore, 
pretty much life as I knew it ended. Mm-hmm. And my slowly family un- slowly my family unraveled. And, you know, I was at this age where I was trying to figure out who I was. I was a young woman. I was a senior in college when she died. And so things fell apart, to put it, to put it concisely. And certainly we're not the, the first to ask this, but, but in many ways, is it true that you lived up to your name? I mean, Cheryl Strayed? Is that what That's you... That's right. I did. And, you know, I didn't have a father. I, I've never had much of a relationship with my biological father. And I felt acutely uh, like an orphan uh, after my mother died. And so I did think that that name was rather apt. Hmm. Uh, and, and the key to this book, and, and the reason that it was resonating with so many, is that all of us have gone through or are going through or will go through similar things. It's one of the certainties of life. Something changes in your world. You feel like you're the only one out there. You know you're on the wrong path, but, but it's difficult to get back on the right one. That's right. That's right. We all, we all will suffer at some point. We will all face a moment in our lives where we feel that there's a weight that we can't bear. And that was so much what I was grappling with in the story I tell in Wild, in, in both you know, internal ways with that emotional, that loss I felt I couldn't bear, and then also externally um, with, with this ginormous backpack I carried <laughs> on my trip. Oh, I know. And then the, the, probably something that no uh, professional would ever recommend you do. You end up on the Pacific Crest Trail thinking that, sure, I'll just hike across it for three straight months. That should be that's, fun. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, you know, I've always been somebody who sort of trusted my gut. And I knew that the wilderness would be this. I knew that that was the place that I felt most gathered. And so I turned to it, and I, and I didn't quite uh, think it all the way through. I had never gone backpacking when I decided to set out on my 1,100-mile journey on the Pacific Crest Trail. The first time I ever went backpacking was my first night on the trail. And a lot happens to you out there, which you document in the book Wild. I mean, you run into snakes and bears and heat and snow, but, uh, but, but I don't think that's why Oprah loved this book. What happens to you out there? Well, really, out there, you know, I said I turned to the wilderness because I, I felt like that that was the place I felt most gathered. And that's really what happened. You know, I got out I, at, the, at that moment that I decided to hike um, the trail. I wasn't just grieving my mother. Um, as you say, my life had unfurled. And I had gotten um, divorced uh, just the month before I began my trip. I had really done all sorts of things that I regretted. I had behaved in ways um, toward my husband that I you know, that I, that I felt bad about. And there were, there were all these things that I was um, needing to let go of and forgive myself for. And I think that that's, um, you know, the story that's really um, reaching people, that, you know, there is the adventure story of the hike, which is, um, you know, fun to read, I think. But that internal story of what happened to me as I hiked those miles, as I confronted um, the, the physical challenges of the journey, which were greater than I expected, and then also what happened on the inside as I met those physical challenges. It was really, I was so alone out there. The first eight days of my hike, I didn't even see another human being, which is, you know, a very profound experience. And what ended up happening is I, I essentially had to think about everything and sit with everything in a very solitary and silent place. And it affected me profoundly. You know, one of the reviewers of the book that, that caught my eye said that Wild reminds people what it means to be fully alive, even in the face of catastrophe and physical and psychic hardship and loss. It seems that there are a lot of us living and existing sort of numbly, and it takes some event to shock us out of it. So, so what does it mean to you now, Cheryl, from this side? What does this, everyone says you need to be fully alive, what is that? I think really what's so interesting about that is to get, I mean, to make things more simple, I think, is when we feel more, most alive. It was one of the most striking experiences for me out on the trail is how, how very simple I made my life by carrying everything I needed on my back, by walking each day through the wilderness. And, and, and the tasks of each day were things like get water, make dinner, <laughs> set up my tent, walk 20 miles, you know, it, it, everything was brought down to a very essential um, level. And it was there that I could, uh, that, that I actually felt like, what, what does it mean to be me? What is my place in the world? Um, that I could reflect upon myself and, and the world. And I think it's, 
you know, uh, it sounds so cliche to say, you know, to get away from all the stuff, you know, all the stuff in our life. I think that that has a numbing effect on us. Hmm. And, you know, all of your listeners will know um, what I'm talking about. When they, if, if Anyone who's walked alone in the woods for any time knows what that feels like, that we do find ourselves able to listen to that inner voice. And we also, when we meet those physical challenges, one of the things about my hike is it was really hard. You know, and, and it took me out of my emotions. It took me out of my head and, and brought me into my body. And I think that that's, you know, we instinctually do things. Like we're turning 50, so we decide to run a marathon. Or we've recovered from cancer, and we decide to go on a cross-the-country bicycle ride. I think that we do want those physical challenges um, because they remind us what it means to be human. Hey, Cheryl, we're running out of time, but before we go, as an author who decides to write something as intensely personal as this, uh, you've got to hope for some sort of validation. And son of a gun, when Oprah, no less, says it's a great book and picks it as her book of the month, uh, you had to feel really good about that. I did. It was, you know, it's everything an author dreams of. My cell phone rang one day out of the blue, and it was Oprah Winfrey. Um, so that was that was pretty exciting. But I will say, as I've traveled the country, I've met thousands of people who've read Wild, and every reader, you know, whether it be Oprah Winfrey or or someone I've never met from Kansas, um, it means something to me that my book reached them. So I feel so honored. Um, you know, by anyone reading my book and, and, and feeling moved by it. Folks, take a look at it and you'll see your own life in a totally different light. The book is called Wild, and we want to thank author Cheryl Strayed for her time, her talents, and her insight into what's really important in life. Coming up, if you ever tried to lose weight or increase your energy, one of America's top docs says the answer is not calories, it's in your blood sugar. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by the UCF College of Medicine, where physicians, scientists, and teachers are discovering innovative solutions for today's medical challenges and bringing them to you. Learn more about the college's physician practice at ucfhealth.com. Subscribe to Growing Boulder Magazine, now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingboulder.com slash subscribe. This is Growing Boulder Radio, and we, of course, are your hosts, Mark Middleton and Bill Schaefer. And if your idea of growing bolder is to be as healthy and vibrant as you can right up until the very end, then A, you've come to the right place, and B, you're going to want to pay close attention to the next few minutes. There is a huge obstacle that's getting between you and longevity. It's the biggest chronic disease in America today. It is really, Mark, no less than an epidemic. Obesity and diabetes. Over 100 million Americans are affected, and our next guest says, we have our heads buried so far in the sand that nobody, not your doctor, not even you, are doing anything about it. He's the medical director of the Ultra Wellness Center and the author of many New York Times bestsellers like Ultra Metabolism and the Ultra Simple Diet. And his latest book, folks, may be his most important yet. It's called The Blood Sugar Solution. And it's great to have one of the best known physicians in America today join us, Dr. Mark Hyman. Hi, Dr. Hyman. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Great. Pretty heavy intro there. The biggest uh, chronic disease in America today? That's right. We, we uh, have a hidden epidemic. Well, it's not so hidden because <laughs> 65, almost 70% of Americans are overweight. Half of them have what we call diabetes, which is this condition that is going all the way from a little bit of belly fat to prediabetes all the way to full-blown type 2 diabetes. And 90% of the people who have it are not diagnosed by their doctor. It's ignored. 25% of diabetics and over 90-plus percent of prediabetics have never been diagnosed, and it's driving them to be feeling not only sick and tired and fat now, but it's also driving these problems that we call something else like high blood pressure or heart attacks or strokes or many cancers like breast, prostate, colon cancer. Even things like depression and dementia are caused by diabetes. One in seven couples is infertile. Many of those are because of diabetes. So we're seeing this huge epidemic that's not being named and that nobody's creating a solution for 
and that we're treating around the margins. We need to come at it head on and get to the root causes, which is both what we eat in our lifestyle, but it's also what's happening in our communities, in our schools, in our homes, in our workplaces that we have to change. And we have to learn how to get healthy together and take back our health as a society. You know, Doc, and given that I know the prescription that you're going to recommend in a moment uh, uh, is not a pill, uh, is, it, is it way out of the box to say, since, uh, you know, most of us don't know if we've, if we've got this, why don't we all just self-diagnose and say, we've got it? Uh, and, and now tell us what to do about it. Uh, how bad could that be? It's not bad at all. It's actually what I think we need to do. Do-it-yourself health. <laughs> you know, going to the doctor to get solved this problem is not going to work because they never were trained in how to diagnose it or treat it. So you have to do it yourself. And that means doing some simple things. On my website, drhyman.com or bloodsugarsolution.com, I have a diabetes quiz. You can find out if you're at risk for it or if you have it. There's also tests you can do that I recommend you can do with your doctor. They might not know about, but they're essential, and they can be taken care of by your regular insurance that will tell you if you have diabetes. Special tests look at insulin and special cholesterol tests. These things are not being done, and they'll give you a roadmap to what's going on with you, and then you can fix it. And using this, this program I have in the Blood Sugar Solution, which is a six-week program, which is really, really a, uh, a trick to get you to do this for your whole life. <laughs> but it's essentially a way to help you understand how your body works and work with it and get to the root causes. Uh, it's a change in diet. It's understanding how to eat real fresh food. It's, listen, what we should be doing is be eating food that we uh, recognize as real food, that's real fresh food, and then we cook it ourselves. It's the real food, cook food diet. You just buy food, cook it yourself, mm-hmm. and that's it. And that doesn't mean... a uh, packaged food in a microwave. That doesn't constitute cooking or real food. You, you know, the the hard part is you really, I mean, you don't know who to listen to. It's so confusing because, you, okay, you're overweight, you don't feel good, you have headaches or your stomach hurts or whatever, and you go to your doctor, right? You tell him that you have those symptoms. They send you to four different specialists. They provide, you know, they give you four different drugs, and that leaves you ten times worse than you were when you started. Absolutely. You know, we we have a situation where now we're seeing the end of the benefit of these pharmacologic solutions. Diabetes has now increased 48% in women who take statins. Uh, we see the number one diabetes drug, Avandia, causing 200,000 deaths since it was introduced. This is crazy from heart attacks. This is what I call Pharmageddon. You know, we need to rethink our approach to this. You know, if you're standing on a tack, it takes a lot of aspirin to make it feel better. You've got to pull out the tack. You can't just take a statin and have a double cheeseburger, fries, and a soda and think you're fine. I, you know, you got away with the words, Doc. That, that's great. And, and, and I'm assuming that, that blood sugar level and sugar consumption are not necessarily directly related, or are they? Because it does seem like sugar has become public enemy number one. Well, for good reason. You know, we, we went from eating 22 teaspoons a year as hunter-gatherers to 10 pounds a year in the 18, early 1800s to 150 pounds of sugar a year per person wow. now, and about 55 pounds of white flour, which is basically the same as sugar. That is over half a pound per person per day of sugar. And that's a drug dose. That's not a, I mean, that's a pharmacologic dose of sugar that has dangerous toxic effects. The dose makes the poison, as Paracelsus said. And a little bit of sugar, a little bit of this, well, that's fine. It's just, when you, when you take the average kid having 34 teaspoons of sugar a day, I mean, that's crazy. One soda, that 20-ounce soda, has 17 teaspoons of sugar. People have no idea. If you were to literally put a baggie of sugar next to everything you had and look at how much was in there, it's insane. It's not the teaspoon of sugar you put in your coffee. It's the hidden sugars in everything. Ketchup, 30-plus teaspoons of sugar in a bottle of ketchup. You think you're dipping your French fries in a tomato. It's sugar. And, and I think this is where we, where we under, fail to understand the impact of this. And uh, it, it, is a, it is a problem, and it's causing fatty liver. We see cirrhosis in 5-year-old kids from drinking soda since they're babies. This is frightening to me. Uh, it just makes me so upset to see this. And I see little kids getting strokes, heart attacks. By 20-year-old, they're needing cardiac bypass operations because of diabetes. You, you know, Doc, looking back when we were putting this interview together over all of your books, I mean, every one of them is important and they're all related in, in certain ways. They're all eye-openers and every one of them can change our lives. So for someone who hasn't read any Dr. Mark Hyman yet, where do you recommend we start? Well, I think the blood sugar solution is a great place to start because it really gives you a roadmap to deal with so much. And it's not just about blood sugar. It's really about creating health. 
And if you look at the most of the diseases of our modern world, if you follow this approach, most of these things will go away. We, we did this program at Saddleback Church. We had them lose a quarter million pounds, but it wasn't about weight loss. And you know what happened? Their asthma went away. Their irritable bowel went away. Their depression went away. Their reflux went away. Their autoimmune diseases got better. Their migraines got better. And, of course, their blood pressure and blood sugar and cholesterol all improved. So if you turn the dials on biology to create health, it'll create a huge benefit in terms of your overall well-being and, and other health issues. You know, I, I don't think any of us want to, to be legislated into having to eat right, but I think we've proven that most of us just don't have what it takes to do so. And, and as a society, as a culture, we're all paying the price. Uh, can, can, can corporations, major food producers, continue to, to produce the crap that they do without somebody t- making them stop? You know, this is a problem. And I think that I was just sitting with my friend Kelly Brownell, who's the head of the Yale Center for Policy, Food Policy, and Obesity, and, and I said, you know, Kelly, what are the, the things that we can do that will make the most impact in changing this? And he said two things. One is tax sugar. Now, people say it's a nanny state and, you know, we don't want to get government involved, but we, we are involved. We have seatbelt laws. We, have, we tax cigarettes. We tax so, uh, alcohol. In fact, tobacco tax is what drove down smoking, and it's what protected Americans and drove down the rates of lung cancer and heart disease from smoking. Uh, and, and it's effective and it works. And it raises money for other, all sorts of programs, and the same can be true. $15 billion a year could easily be raised with a small little tax of penny pounds on soda. If we had two pennies per ounce, it might even be better, or four or five pennies per ounce. And, and then we can see some real change, and people's behavior will change. The second is food marketing. We, we market junk food to kids in, the, in a very stealth way. In fact, it's not just obvious marketing now. We have on, on commercials, but we have it on Facebook, on Twitter. We have it implanted, embedded in in YouTube videos and in television shows like American Idol where they're all drinking Coke. That's not by accident. That is by product placement in, in movies and TV shows where people are idolizing these figures. This is a problem, and, and this is driving behavior. And we're the only nation in the planet that's civilized that actually allows food marketing to kids. You go to Europe, they don't allow it. Canada doesn't allow it. We have the death penalty, and we have food marketing to kids. Uh, what's up with that? Great interview, Doc. So many things to think about, and I know what's going to happen. People are going to go home tonight, and they're going to look in the pantry and, or go to the store and take a look around. So if you don't have Dr. Mark Hyman right there to ask right off, as a rule of thumb, he likes to say if, if you have to ask about a certain food, no, it isn't any good for you, so skip it. The book will help you tremendously. It's called The Blood Sugar Solution, the ultra-healthy program for losing weight, preventing disease, and feeling great now. We just got the inspiration from Dr. Mark Hyman. Folks, it's time to take action. Start growing bolder. Growing Boulder is a production of Boulder Broadcasting, all rights reserved. This program was recorded live at the studios of WMFE Orlando. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Jackie Carlin, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producer is Katie Widrick. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member is you. Remember, when it comes to Growing Boulder, it's not about age. It's about attitude.